Howdy folks and welcome to the Dirt Road Cowboys Christian Podcast. My name is Dean, also known as the Dirt Road Cowboy. And whether this is your first time listening in or if you're a repeat listener, I want to thank you for joining me on this trip. Hope you get something out of it and we keep coming back. Okay, in the last episode, which as of this time, I noticed that no one has downloaded yet mainly because it's talking about Lucifer, why he was created, and what happened. But I also talk about some very important things concerning life and death. And I'll touch on a few of those things in this episode, but if you want to get a little bit more in-depth, you're going to have to go back and listen to the other one. Anyway, I talked about how death entered into the world, the fall of man, and everything else. This time I'm going to talk about how life entered into the world. And what went wrong? Bet y'all didn't know that something went wrong. Well, it has. Otherwise, we'd all be putting on our immortality, living forever, and Jesus would return. But since we haven't, something went wrong. So we're going to talk a little bit about it this time. All right. What has happened to the gospel of life? In John 10.10, Jesus said that he came to bring life. In John 3.16, We read that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Ain't talking about heaven, folks. That's talking about immortality. Look it up for yourself. It's using that same word for life as we see in other places where it's talking about immortality and the life of God. So what happened? Well, religion. The tool of the devil. The devil got in through religious leaders and still gets in through religious leaders, keeping people stuck in their bondage. You're not supposed to be going to boot camp forever. Any of you that's been a soldier, or know someone that's been a soldier, or that's ever watched a war picture, knows that boot camp is only a short period of time. In boot camp, you're trained to fight. You're trained to get out there and win the war. Well, we've been given the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher as our instructors in boot camp. You're not supposed to stay there in the same church building listening to the same message for 20, 30, 50 years. You're supposed to be getting out there and doing something. But that kind of stops their cash flow, doesn't it? We're not going to get into this. I talked about that before. But it's about control, cash flow, and people building their own kingdom. They build their palace to themselves and call it the house of God. And they try to get you to come to the house of the Lord and worship. People, the Bible says that God's not going to live in a house made by hands. He's going to live in us. Not go down to a church building and pay your tithes and offerings and everything else that they need to pay off their humongous multi-million dollar mortgage. That's not what we're supposed to do. It was never the plan. God didn't even want the temple that Solomon built for years and years and years. It was a tent, started off in the desert, built according to the plans that God gave to Moses, because God never intended to have a permanent dwelling place in a building. He always wanted to dwell with his people. A tent was just a way to kind of keep everything protected. The tabernacle, the tent, was his temporary dwelling place until he could inhabit us. I like to see all the beautiful architecture and the beautiful cathedrals and everything else, but that's not God's will. Back in Jesus' days, when he was still walking on earth before the crucifixion, he used to reprimand the religious leaders for knowing the way to the kingdom, 
and not entering, and also keeping others from entering, and making them twice the sons of Satan that they were. That's what religion will do to you. It will steal, kill, and destroy. Kind of like Jesus said in John chapter 10. He was talking about Satan, the enemy, the thief, but he's also talking about the people working for Satan, religious leaders that steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said that he was the door. So why do so many people think that death is their Lord and Savior? Death is the enemy. But people look at death as a blessing so that they can go to heaven. Jesus said you could do it without dying. He was the door, not death. The enemy brings in death. He came to bring life and more abundance. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and more abundantly. The word it isn't in the original translation. So just get that out of your mind. Because that was put in there by the devil and his disciples to think that this is talking about some spiritual thing way out in the sweet by and by. Jesus never said that. He came to defeat the works of the devil. Everything the devil came to steal and kill and destroy through covenant breaking, through all other kinds of acts of evil, Jesus came to put an end to it. So death is not your savior. Death isn't what gets you into heaven. And I got another news bomb for you folks. Heaven's not your eternal home. It's a temporary place. Heaven was there because God had to be separate from man after the fall. He wanted to permanently be with his kids. Adam and Eve were never told that one day they would die and go to heaven. They were told they could live forever. Only when they turned evil, when they sinned, when they broke covenant, would they die. And that was done for a reason, so that evil demonic people wouldn't be living eternally on this world. So God had to bring in the plan to stop their life cycles, to change things, to remove his spirit from the earth, and bring death. We talked last time about how the life force became 180 degrees out of phase from God, and the demons were able to take on physical form and mate with women, and create offspring, monsters, the Nephilim. That grieved the Holy Spirit that his power was being used so that the evil could manifest themselves in this world and have power and authority and dominion. And God said, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm not going to allow my spirit to be grieved and I'm going to shorten man's lifespan to 120 years. Go back to the last episode and you can hear more about that because we're going to move on with this one. Jesus came to bring life. We read that in John chapter 10. In the next chapter, chapter 11, we read that Jesus' friend Lazarus died. Jesus didn't want to call it death. He didn't want to speak death over him. But his people were kind of dense, so he had to actually just break down and use the term and then tell them what he was going to do. Well, in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus is talking to Lazarus' sister, Martha. You know, we've heard the story about Mary and Martha. Well, this is that Martha. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus told Martha that... Her brother would rise again, that he was going to raise her brother up. She didn't get it. She was the one that didn't sit there and listen to everything that Jesus said. She was busy. So she said, well, yes, our religion tells us that everyone's going to rise again in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, why would Jesus have to make two separate points? He goes on to clarify that. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, will live again. Resurrection. 
but whoever believes in me and lives, he will never die. He's talking about immortality there, resurrection, life. Then he asked Martha, do you believe this? Well, obviously she didn't. She said, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then she runs off to get her sister. So Jesus is looking for someone to come into agreement with him. And when he sees Mary coming, he's like, okay, that's my girl. That's the one who was at my feet, the one who was listening to me. She's going to be able to understand this. And what did she do? She came running up and said the exact same thing that her sister said. She didn't believe him at all. She kind of conned him to get out of doing some work. She was sitting there at his feet, batting her pretty eyes at him and everything. I mean, she wanted to hook up with the rabbi, the famous rabbi. She wanted to be somebody. She thought that if she paid enough attention that she'd get to marry him. Well, she didn't understand destiny or anything else. She was looking for a husband. Mary was a bit of a flirt and possibly even promiscuous. She's not the same one who was caught in the act of adultery. We're never told that. But we're told that she was a sinner, so maybe she was very flirtatious, maybe she was very outgoing, and she got a reputation. I don't know, Jesus would know. But what we do know is that she paid a whole bunch of mourners to show attention to her and to be moaning and wailing and grieving because they all followed her out to see Jesus. They thought she was going to go and mourn at the tomb. So it's like, well, hurry up. There's our meal ticket. Let's go. Or she won't pay us. So when Jesus heard her and saw all the mourners coming, he wept. He didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He was weeping because of their lack of faith. The only other time we hear about Jesus weeping was when he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and how he would have gathered them under his wings, but they wouldn't accept him. Their unbelief. Jesus weeps over unbelief. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. He told his friends he was going to go raise Lazarus. Why would you cry if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that you were going to raise someone from the dead? There is no reason for that. It's religious lies keeping you in bondage, coming from the father of all lies. So Jesus went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it had been more than four days, which according to the Jewish beliefs, the ghost kind of hung around for three days or so, but then after that, it couldn't be brought back. Jesus waited even longer to prove that he was beyond their superstition and waiting around for a ghost to return. They could have said, oh, well, yeah, his ghost was standing around waiting anyway, but not after four days. No, that would go completely against their religion. And that's what really got people to talking. And then the prophets had raised people from the dead before, but not after four days. Jesus did a lot of things that no one else had done before. Many things that prophets had done before, he did, but he'd take it one step beyond, healing a man that was born blind, which means that there may have been others that went blind later on in life and were healed. But no one has ever healed a man that was born blind, according to the scripture, at least at that time. Jesus was the first. There have been others that have done it since then, but before that time, no. Anyway, back to what we were saying. Jesus brought life back to Lazarus, but he said that he would do that according to John 11:25. It would take someone living and believing in him to never die. You could live, believe in him, die and be resurrected, or you could live, believe in him and never die. What's the difference? 
The difference is, what are you believing for? Jesus came to destroy death. He made it possible by being the firstborn from the dead, according to the scriptures. That means, and there's a firstborn, there's otherborns. That's where we're supposed to come in, people. We're supposed to be raising from the dead just like he did. You shouldn't be looking at death as your savior taking you to heaven. You're not going to live in heaven forever. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to recreate it all. And how's he going to do that? Uh, through us. We're supposed to make this place on earth as it is in heaven. The scripture says, as he is, not as he was, as he is, so are we in this world. How is he? Very perfect, very powerful. But then he goes and says, I have all the power and authority in heaven, earth, and below the earth. Therefore, you go in my name, wielding the same power, get rid of the devil, bring life, bring immortality, change this world, be apostolic, make this world like heaven. If you don't know what heaven looks like, well, then there's another area you need to take up and find out. Go through the gate. Jesus said that he was the gate and that his sheep would be able to enter in and go back out. Enter into what? Heaven? Yeah, Jesus is the way into heaven, not death. You're supposed to be able to come and go. Visit, find out what it's like, and manifest that on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't say God was going to do it. He prayed for it to happen, but not that God would do it. We are the ones supposed to be bringing heaven to earth. We visit heaven. We find out what it's like. We manifest it. That's our job. We're supposed to get it ready for the king to return. I remember years ago when I first read John 11, 25, and 26. It hit me so hard. It was the biggest revelation. It was the only revelation I'd ever had to that time. And it became my founding scripture. It became my purpose in life. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know what revelation was or anything like that. It was just that those two verses just stood out. And I couldn't believe that no one was living it. No one was teaching it. No one was doing anything about this. Jesus himself, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, has told us that we didn't have to die. Why are people still dying? I couldn't understand it. That became my foundation for my future. It was the one thing I could never shake. And even before I became a Christian, I knew just from basic medical research that we all have cellular regeneration and that every cell in the body regenerates, some faster than others. Some take many years to be replaced. Others are replaced within days and weeks. And I was told when I was younger that the brain cells and the nerve cells never get replaced. But I didn't believe that. And I tried telling people, they do, it just takes longer. No one believed me. They believed the so-called medical experts at the time. Well, years later, come to find out that why, yes, brain cells and nerve cells do replace themselves. It just takes a very long period of time. It could take between 7 to 10 years for a complete regeneration of the neural system. Wow, I'd been talking about that since the 1970s when I was in my teens because I was given a revelation. There's always been something in me that knew that death was not right. But I couldn't get religious people to believe it. I couldn't get, find anyone 
that understood what I was talking about, except for New Agey type people. But they believed more in reincarnation, not in immortality. I did my research. I studied. I read through scientific papers. I got into medicine. I wanted to find out why people died when we were constantly being regenerated. Well, then someone comes along later and they start talking about how it's the telomeres in the genetic code, in the DNA. These little things down at the very end of the double helix. But to me, that explanation sounded like, oh, well, it has to do with the length of your lifeline. So go to a palm reader and find out how long your lifeline is and how long you're going to live. I don't think God leaves sloppy loose ends like that. He limited a man's life, a human's life, to 120 years. And we see after the flood, lifespans decreased until they became right in that range where God said they would be, no more than 120 years. So I didn't believe in death. I hated death. When I was younger, I didn't like the idea of things having to die. Now, when I was young, and I've mentioned this in one of my previous teachings, someone had told me that the frog that I found was a tree frog. They live up in the trees. Well, it wasn't. It was a big frog. But anyway, I decided I was going to help the frog, and I threw it up into the air to try to get it to land in a tree. Well, it didn't work, and the frog came down on the sidewalk and splattered. Well, I was with some other kids, and they started calling me a murderer and everything, saying that I was going to hell because I was a murderer, and God hates murderers. Well, I was crying. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was sending the frog up into a tree. I didn't know that I didn't have the strength to do that and that frogs aren't cats. They don't have claws. So I tried to throw the frog up in the tree. It splattered. Its guts were coming out. It was dead. And I cried. And the other kids were calling me murderer and everything. And it made me cry even more. And I prayed. And I told God I was sorry. I didn't mean to kill his frog. And as I was crying, the other kids went away. But I was still crying and I was praying. And the frog came back to life. Its internal organs and everything went back inside of it. The frog came to life and hopped away. When I told the other kids about it, it's like, yeah, who cares? That's yesterday's news. We're on to playing something else now. So you're not a murderer anymore. So what? But that was the end of that. And I'd kind of forgotten about it until I actually saw that frog in heaven. Yep, it was there. And Jesus reminded me that I had brought life to that frog. And he reminded me of some other times. When I was a bit older, I touched a dead rabbit. And I wasn't a Christian yet, but I imparted life to it. The rabbit had been killed, dead. It was laying there, ready to be cut up, to be cooked in a pot. And I walked over and I just stroked the little rabbit. And I felt sorry for it. Poor little dead bunny. It was stiff. It was dead. But then it started to twitch. And it came back to life. And needless to say, the guy who was getting ready to clean it and cook it wasn't too thrilled with the fact that I just brought his dinner back to life. I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. And later on, he thought it was hilarious that he almost had to go without his dinner because I brought it back to life. But at the time, he didn't think it was so funny and he killed it again. And the third thing that I resurrected was years after that, my son had a couple of fish in a fish tank. He was just a few years old. And before I went to work, I went to put some fish food in the bowl 
and I noticed that one of the fish was floating on top and it had some bites taken out of it and fin was chewed off and everything else from the other fish. I didn't have time to have a discussion about death with my son and I was led by the Spirit to put my hands on the fishbowl and pray. So I put my hands on the fishbowl and I prayed in the Spirit and that fish darted back to life. It got its fin back. It regrew the areas that had been eaten away from it. And it started going around and around that bowl faster than I've ever seen a little fish swim. And I thought it was just happy to be alive. So I went on to work. I got a call a few hours later from my wife saying that there was something weird going on with a fish because it still was swimming around and around and around and around that bowl. And I told her what happened. And she just thought, well, that's kind of weird. I wonder why it's swimming so much. Well, eventually... The fish kind of burned itself out. It burned up every bit of energy that I put into it, but it had the life and energy of God imparted into it, which is a little bit more than its little fish body could handle. And then I was able to explain to my son what happened after I got off work and the fish died again. And I was able to talk to him and explain it. And he was very understanding. But those are the three things that I've been able to raise back from the dead. It's always been a part of the call in my life. And even though only the fish incident was something that happened after I was born again, the other things happened prior to me being a Christian, before I'd even learned anything. God was gracious, loving, kind. He wanted my little boy to have his fish, and he wanted me to see that coming back from the dead was possible. Well, the last time I mentioned how the energy field that was originally all from God flipped 180 degrees out of phase with God. Light became dark. Good became evil. It was a complete 180 degree flip around. But we're supposed to have the power inside of us that is directly correlated to God. That we can start to change this world and start to switch the phase. God can't plug right back into the world and let the demons take on physical form anymore. The change has to be done through spirit-filled believers. That's the only way that he'll allow it to happen, because the devil has no control over that. He can't sit there and use that power to create more monsters. Now, he can influence people and get them to become monsters all on their own. We've seen that throughout history. Evil people, sons of Satan, rising to power, and even not rising to power, but just doing evil. But he is not going to allow the demons to manifest themselves in a physical form all on their own, start mating with women and creating Nephilim all over again. That is not going to happen. He's given us power and authority in the name of Jesus. Not in our own name, not in our own will. That's how he's keeping control over it. To make sure that it can't be used by the evil because Satan is not going to sit there and try to get things to manifest in the name of Jesus. God won't allow his spirit to be grieved like that any longer, creating monsters through the power of the Holy Ghost. There are children of the devil. Jesus said it himself. I've shaken hands with children of the devil before, backstabbing monsters, covenant breakers, evil, evil people, murderers. They use the power of the earth. The scripture says that the devil can't use anything except what is common to man. And that is the earth energy, the power of the earth, that they harness through magic and sacrifices. They focus this energy 
to accomplish their own will. And if they can't focus enough energy, then they get together in groups. They have orgies. They have blood sacrifices because the Bible says that the life is in the blood. And they take that energy and they use it to cause evil. They break covenants and people die. They sacrifice to Satan their own family members for power, for selfishness, for their very evil that they do. We have to put an end to that. We have to stop it. We don't need to use magic like they do. We don't go by sending a request to the universe. The universe is out of phase with God. The universe is not God. If you would have listened to my last teaching, you would have learned that God is not the universe. I read a translation of Colossians 2.20 that said, You are dead in Christ, and the forces of the universe have no power over you. The forces of the universe that the New Agers pray to, believing that it is God, has no power over me. Well, if it was God, then how could God have no power over me if I was dead in Christ? I think that translation explains things very well. We're not under the power of the universe. We are supposed to be controllers of the universe, masters of the universe in Jesus' name. We're to be ruling and reigning with him right now, not in some way-off futuristic time after he returns. He won't need us to rule and reign with him. He'll do it all himself. What would he need us for? Now is our training ground. We have his spirit in us. If we are filled with the spirit, then we're supposed to be ruling and reigning as kings in this life right now. But these evil people, the ones that haven't been blinded by false religions, Satan has blinded their eyes to knowing that the power belonged to them all along. So they're using a power that belonged to them to begin with that he turns around and says, I'll give it to you if you just worship me. So they worship him for this power that was theirs all along. He stole it from them and sells it back to them at the price of their eternal damnation. And he makes them his children who are going to the same place that he's going to end up going. So they make a covenant with him, and they shed innocent blood to seal the covenant. This world has had a lot of innocent blood shed. The blood of the innocents, the blood of the babies, the blood of the children, in satanic covenant sacrifices by greedy people who just want more power for themselves. Politicians and other people that are nasty monsters children of Satan, that all they care about is their own power, their own control, manipulation of others. But their time's coming to an end, and not because of some magical rapture, but because more people are going to start rising up with the true and full power of God to become the manifested sons of God in this earth. We're supposed to be that now. All of creation is crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're supposed to manifest the power, the glory, the authority of God in this world right now. That's what the world's waiting for. That's what it's crying out for. For the people, God's people, to be like him. As he is, so are we in this world. That's what creation wants. Wants to be set free from the law of sin and death that man brought in. Sin equals death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of covenant breaking is death. All creation wants to be set free, and it's up to us to do it. That's our job. That's what we're here for, people. To manifest God's power 
to work the signs, wonders, and miracles that the Bible points out that we're supposed to do. The things that you have seen me do and greater will you do, Jesus said. We have a hard enough time believing to do the things that he did, and we question what would be greater than what Jesus did. Look around at the world, listening to the cries of creation to be set free. We're supposed to make this place perfect so Jesus can return to perfection. And that's where we're going to leave it this time, people. I just left you your marching orders. Bring this world into perfection. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Until then, you can find out more about me at www.dirtroadcowboy.com. Like I said, you can find out a bit more about me. You can get some contact information and whatever else. But until then, I do want to leave you with a prayer that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know the hope, the power, and the fullness of His glory, the Holy Spirit, in your life. I pray that you'll have wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and that you'll gain more and more revelation. In the name of Jesus, I pray this now. Amen. Okay, well, this is the Dirt Road Cowboy, signing out. Bye, y'all.